The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball, Off-Season Edition Part 2. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. John, I know you've been feeling under the weather. How are you doing, though? Yeah, uh, getting over COVID, so I apologize in advance if I don't sound like my normal self. Um, but other than that, been doing pretty well. A football season is finally over, so uh, one less thing to kind of keep track of, and pitchers and catchers reported today, so... It is officially the start of the baseball season, which is really exciting uh, for us, but also just uh, just in general. It's, it's nice to have actual baseball back. Yeah, I watch one football game per season, and that's the Super Bowl. And I'm super excited about it because I mainly watch it just to count down the seconds until baseball season officially starts. Sure, so, yeah. so I'm not a big football fan, as you all know already. I've said it before on the pod, but I am so excited about this baseball season. Like you said, pitchers and catchers reported. We're finally underway for the baseball season, and we're going to have this episode dedicated to people that we like for fantasy that we'll be keeping a close eye on in spring training. I think that's a good bridge to get us ready for the actual season before we get into rankings and any other stuff. I think it's good to break down the players that we'll be keeping a close eye on and that we're excited to draft for fantasy. Now, how it's going to work is we're going to do the AL and NL West today. Then the next time we do an episode, we will do the AL and NL Central, and then we'll close it out with the AL and NL East. That way, throughout spring training, you can know who we're looking at. Maybe the names change. Maybe there's someone that emerges that we can go over as well. So hopefully we can cover all of that and give you all the information that you need on the players that we are personally looking at. But before we get into it, I'd like to remind all of you that you can follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you can send us your fantasy baseball questions to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we are on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, and please leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. We really want to hit 100 followers on Twitter before the season starts, so please go over to Twitter and follow us at ThisWeekPL, and like I said, If you have any questions, whether it's spring training, fantasy, draft, keeper, any of those questions, email our email thisweekplpod at gmail.com. We'd love to answer them. 
But let's get started on today's topic. John, from the AL West, I guess we'll start with the Astros. Who are you keeping a close eye on in spring training? Yeah, the world champion Astros. Um, it could have been easy to pick someone like um, Jose Abreu, who's going to be, um, you know, away from the White Sox for the first time in his career playing in in, uh, in Houston, um, or even Kyle Tucker to see if that, you know, the continued breakout from last year continues to this year. Christian Javier and Framber Valdez, obviously, is some two pitchers who really stood out last year. Framber, obviously, with his incredible number of quality starts, and then Javier just being an absolute dominating uh, pitcher in the World Series. But I actually want to talk about the guy behind him, uh, which is Lance McCullers. And it's hard to remember, but he was actually an all-star back in 2017. Uh, yeah, six years ago, Lance McCullers was an all-star. Um, but he's just basically been dealing with injuries almost every season. Um, his highest inning total was 162 innings back in 2021. Uh, he finished in the top 25 of ERA, strikeouts, and K-minus. Uh, walk percentage so obviously a really good season for him um, and I think that's why he got a lot of helium basically for the 2022 draft season unfortunately uh, he dealt with uh, injury at the beginning of the season he had some forearm issues um, and then also had a right flexor tendon strain uh, so it's just kind of a really uneven season for him he only had eight starts uh, the the thing with the colors that works out for him right is he has a really elite ability to limit hard contact. He has a pretty decent strikeout ability. It's not like a top 10 sort of ability, but it's top 30. He's able to get strike guys out. Um, and he is a really solid ground ball pitcher as well. Um, so he really has a kind of all three tools needed to shut down an offense. Um, and in 2022, he had those eight starts. Um, he was still pretty solid, actually. He was able to strike batters out. He was able to limit hard contact. The one place where he didn't really succeed as much was his ground ball percentage. That dropped a bit from 2021 to 2022. And all those metrics still were above league average, so it wasn't like he was an abysmal pitcher. But they were definitely like the lowest percentages of his career since his debut season back in 2016. Um, actually, 2015 is when he debuted. Um, so yeah, like I mentioned, he's the third. He's number three slider behind Framber and Christian Javier. Um, and I think when it comes to spring training this season, what I'm looking at is his pitch mix. He changed it a little bit this past season. So he's he's basically has four pitches. He's got the slider, the sinker, the curveball, and the changeup. That's kind of been his bread and butter for the last three years. Um, and then the sinker is kind of the main pitch that he uses uh, to induce grab balls. Uh, but last year, he actually lowered the usage from 34% to 24%, which is quite a bit. And in turn, what he did was actually introduce a cutter. Um, which he hasn't really thrown much of before. Um, I, I don't know if it was like a cause and effect sort of thing where because he lowered the amount of times he was throwing his sinker, he just wasn't throwing it as well, or because he wasn't throwing it as well, he lowered the amount that he was throwing it. Basically, he just wasn't able to get guys to ground out as much. I think the percentage change was from like 60%-ish to 40%. So a pretty drastic drop. Um, and the other thing about the, the sinker was that people were – turning on it so the fly ball rate on the sinker itself pretty much almost doubled it was like 18 percent to 32 percent um it was got it got hit for a 421 average which is incredible uh 558 woba so guys were just taking it for a ride um so basically what i'm looking for spring is how is that sinker going to look um i know we don't always get these metrics kind of like stack has data is a little bit um iffy when it comes to spring training stuff but just kind of see, you know, is he getting ground balls? Um, is he getting ground outs on his pitches? 
Um, is he getting knocked around instead? You know, what, how, how does he look in spring? He's currently 60th on Nick's top 300 pitchers list. Um, so it's not like he's not like a bad candidate, but he's definitely not a guy that people are picking up early. His average ADP, according to Fantasy Pros, um, is around 180. So that puts him around round 15 in the 12 teamer. Um, if we can see McCullers kind of get back to those old ways of grounding guys out, um, and we still see him be able to limit hard contact um, and then have a good strikeout ability, I think it might be worth taking him even a couple rounds earlier than round 15 because um, he definitely has that potential to be a top 30 pitcher. So I think that's just something to look out for in spring. Just how, how are his outings looking? Is he um, getting guys to ground out or is he giving up more homers and fly balls than usual? I'm a huge McCullers fan. I think he's got so much potential and I think he could be so good. The thing I'm worried about most is the innings. I would say, of course, because of how much he's been limited due to injury. But it's not like he's some young kid that they have to hold back. So if he's healthy, they're going to let him pitch. So like you said, if his stuff looks good, if he's able to resume those ground outs, he could be a really, really scary name because he has some swing and miss stuff as well. And he could be a Mm -hmm. top 50 pitcher if all things break right. I mean, he could be even more than that. But to be safe, I'll say top 50. Like you said, he's in Nick's top 60 or 60th. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of potential there. I like him a lot. I also love that you mentioned Jose Abreu before because he's someone I want on every team. Mm-hmm. But he's not someone you really have to look at in spring training. And nope. McCullers is a perfect choice to keep an eye on because if he looks wrong, you kind of should fade him in the draft. But if he looks mm-hmm. right and on it, like you said, you might want to grab him a little earlier than the ADP says. Right. And it's not a situation like last year where they had with Jake Odorizzi where it was like Christian Javier was waiting in the wings. Yes, and they were right. like, oh, do we start him? Do we not? And then, you know, finally Odorizzi got traded. And then Javier, you know, fully solidified his place in the rotation. Um, this year, the only guy that's really pushing into the rotation is Hunter Brown. Yep. Um, and he he could easily leap over, you know, guys like Luis Garcia. Um, I can't remember who's the number five starter in the rotation right now. But um, just guys like that, like I, I think, like what you said, Lance is going to get his run they're not going to try to limit him um the only reason they would is if they think there's some injury risk there but um beyond that they're just going to let him go as as far as he'll he'll take him yeah so i'm looking at the projected lineup now and the starters for the astros are framber valdez christian javier lance mccullers luis garcia jose urquidy uh, Urquidy, that's right. So I could see Garcia or Urquidy getting the bump for Brown, but not McCullers. Like, he is mm-hmm. yep. the projected number three. So I think his job is pretty safe as long as he's healthy. Right. So, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's he's just going to be able to get his run. And um, even if he gets hurt, like, it, it's a thing where McCullers, like, for the most part, you can kind of... You can kind of know if it's season ending, right, then you, you, you let him go. But yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I, I think he's still worth holding on to. Um, and keeping an eye on Slovak for if 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 he ends up getting hurt. I completely agree. I love the McCullers pick. I'm going to move on to the NL West, the division toppers, the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I'm going to start it off with a very popular name that's being thrown around the industry for a good reason, of course. This is the guy that I'm going to be watching and getting excited about from the Dodgers. It's Miguel Vargas. He was a top prospect that everyone was excited about last year, but he didn't do too well in his very small cup of coffee in the majors. He played in 18 games, had a slash line of 170, 200, 255. He hit one homer, had a stolen base, which in my opinion is something that you can just completely throw out. It's just 18 games, but something you can't throw out 
In 113 games in AAA before being called up, Vargas had a slash line of 304, 404, 511 with a 915 OPS. He hit 17 homers and stole 16 bases, which is just incredible. Like I said, in 113 games, if you project that out, it's probably somewhere around 25-25 for both. Vargas also dominated AA the year before that with very similar numbers to what he put up in AAA. This kid is just 23 years old, 6'3", extremely athletic. He is a perfect build for baseball. I think that his ceiling is immense, and with everyday playing time, he's going to be a fantasy asset. The thing to watch for spring is where he's playing on the field. Now, that sounds kind of odd, of course, but right now, according to roster resource and projected lineups, Vargas will be the everyday second baseman for the Dodgers. Now, on Yahoo, NFBC, and other sites, he only has first base eligibility, but he'll gain second base eligibility, which some people in your leagues might not realize, which might just keep him down in the ADP, and you might be able to grab him really late, which is extremely exciting. But I also heard rumors that Mookie Betts might play some second base again, depending on how Vargas performs there defensively, of course. And if Mookie takes second base, that means Vargas will most likely move to the outfield or third base, which any combination of first base and second base alongside third base or outfield eligibility makes him extremely valuable to your fantasy team. So Vargas is a guy that you can grab later in your drafts and is a mainstay in your lineup for the entire season. You just kind of put him there, and if he performs, he's great. And if he's not, you could just cut him because it didn't cost you anything. So I'll be keeping an eye out in spring training to see where he's playing on the diamond and how he does at the plate, but I am personally expecting big things out of Miguel Vargas. Yeah, Vargas is interesting because he actually came up in the minors as a third baseman. Yep. Um, And the Dodgers kind of have this interesting kind of rotating group of people that could potentially play second and third. Um, right, you got Mookie, as we mentioned. Max Muncy could play second or third. I think he's currently slotted in as a third baseman. Yep. Um, Chris Taylor's out there. Miguel yep. Rojas is out there. So they have a lot of options. Um, and then J.D. Martinez is there as a DH, which is kind of weird because it basically means that they're not going to be shuffling guys in and out of that DH spot like how some other teams might do it. Um so with Vargas, it's really going to come down to playing time, right? If if he solidifies his position as either the starting second or third baseman there, um, yeah, I, I definitely think that he could potentially um, even have some like a 15-15 season um, if he's playing almost every single day. Um, and yeah, that multi-position eligibility, it, it's the Dodgers. They like spread guys around all the time anyways. So there's a good chance that if you're in one of those um, – one of those leagues where it only takes like five games or 10 games, right. To get eligibility. Um, then yeah, he's, he's a really good asset. I could see a lot of the Dodgers having crazy amounts of eligibility everywhere. Like I could see Max Muncy playing first, second, third. I could see Chris Taylor yep. playing third, second outfield. I could see Mookie playing second outfield Vargas playing first, second, third outfield. They might all have crazy eligibilities, even like Gavin Lux. They're really committing to letting people play whenever they're okay and healthy and ready and wherever they want to play, really. Right. Well, I mean, part of this, too, is the fact that in the last two years, they've lost two all-star shortstops in yep. Corey Seager and, and Trey Turner. Like, they, their shortstop right now is Gavin Lux, and we all know how much we trust that. So, um, it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do on defense. And because of that, they'll be interesting to see who gets what eligibility. Right, exactly. Well, moving on to the next team, um, kind of America's team, really, last year, the Seattle Mariners. Um, 
last year we saw two reds get traded from Great American Small Park to the Deep Caverns of Sakesco Field. One of them struggled a lot, Jesse Winker. Uh, he just got shipped off to Milwaukee. And then the other one, Eugenio Suarez, actually had one of his better seasons uh, since the rabbit ball season. So good for him. But we're not talking about either of those guys. We're going to be talking about Teoscar Hernandez, who is basically moving from Great Canadian Small Park. Um, I bet he wished that he was staying there, considering <laughs> what they're doing to those dimensions. It's kind of insane. Yep. Um, and yeah, he's going to Seattle, where um, homers go to die, apparently. Uh Teoscar is kind of interesting. He had a really, really good 2021 season. If you remember, he had 32 homers, had 12 steals, kind of showed that power-speed combo that everyone loves. Uh, but then in 2022, he kind of came back to earth. I mean, it wasn't like that drastic. He still hit 25 homers. He had six steals. Um, but his slash line that year uh, or last year was basically near or below league average. Um, he had like a lower than league average slugging percentage about league average, average, and OVP. And that's not something you like to see for a guy who plays most of his ball in Toronto. Uh, we kind of expect Toronto to, you know, elevate your offense, but that's not what we saw with, with Teoscar. Um, so this year, though, his draft stock hasn't taken that much of a hit. I mean, he's still probably like a top 15 outfielder, top 30 hitter, in my opinion. Um, so with all that being said, what am I looking forward in spring, right? If this guy is already that good... Where can we see him improve? Um, I think the, the first thing that people get worried about is going to be the power thing, right? And we're really not going to know how that's going to affect him until he starts playing in Seattle. Um, but I really wouldn't worry about that. According to Baseball Savant, if he played in Seattle for every single game last year, he would have hit 31 homers, uh, which is more than the 25 that he hit. So uh, likely Teoster is going to be fine in, in Seattle. I, I think if he's hitting bombs, we, if we know the power's there, um, then, yeah, there's there's no reason to worry about it. I think the thing that we're really going to be looking at is his plate discipline. Uh, with PL8 coming out, I'm sure some of you have probably been checking out the new PLV uh, metrics that we've been putting out. Um, if you look specifically at the hitter charts, um, Hernandez has really abysmal contact ability. And contact ability basically rates a hitter's ability to make contact, so either, you know, get a foul ball or, or hit the ball, Um above the contact expectation of that pitch. So basically, you know, if, if a pitcher throws a specific pitch, um, how does Teoscar compare to what you'd expect an average batter to do with that pitch? Does he hit it more often? Does he hit it less often? And what basically we're seeing is that he hits pitches less often than they should be hit. Um, and usually that means that he's striking out. That's usually what it means. It's, it's not usually that he's just like, you know, oh, just seeing a lot of balls go past him that are like meat, meatballs down the middle. He's just swinging and missing, right? And so what I'd like to see in spring is whether he's striking out a lot. Um, is is that still, is that going to be an issue that we're seeing uh, him when he, you know, makes his two at-bats in a game or something like that in a spring training game? Um, the other thing, too, is whether he's uh, hitting the ball to the ground. Um, that was a number that increased for him. It, it increased not a ton. It was 42% to 47%. But it's that's not the direction that we want to see. Ideally, we want to see that ground ball rate, you know, go down or or stay constant at least. Um, ideally, the strikeout rate also didn't like change that much. It was twenty five percent to twenty eight percent, but still going in the wrong way. So, you know, it's it's not like we're we're looking for a lot here, right? We we want him to strike out less. We want him to hit the ball on the ground less. I think that's pretty much what we want from every pitter. Um, but with Teoscar specifically, those were things that he kind of sucked at last year. And I'd like to see those improve. Um, so yeah, if we see more plate discipline from Teo during spring, and maybe more fly balls and line drives, 
Uh, I'd kind of be willing to draft him around earlier. His ADP right now is in, in the 60s, uh, which kind of equates to like a fifth, sixth round guy. Um, but he might be a guy that you, you even target in the fourth round. Um, I don't know if he's really third round value right now, but fourth round for sure, I, I think he could get there if we see him do well in spring. I actually completely agree. I love Teoscar Hernandez, and I'm surprised a lot of people are off of him. I know he didn't have a great year last year, but remember in the 2021 season, he had 32 homers, had 12 steals, but they bounced around three different home parks that year. They yeah. played in Buffalo. They played in, they were all over the place, and a lot of those were hitter fields. They were really good for batters. And then he had a complete season in 2022 where it went down a little bit, and even Vlad Jr. had a step back in a year, and... A bunch of things went that way, but a lot of people are worried about the change from the Blue Jays Stadium Rogers Center to Safeco Field. And I saw it somewhere, and I can't find it for the life of me. I was trying to research it while you were talking about Teoscar. But mm -hmm. I read somewhere where his average home run distance was, like, well over 400 feet. Yeah. And he bombs. Yeah, that's not going to be a struggle. Like, I looked on Baseball Savant, and his max home run distance in 2022 was 464, which was 15th in majors. So I don't see a problem with him exiting the field at Safeco. So anyone who's worried about that, just look at like Eugenio Suarez. He really didn't have yeah. a big problem converting from Great American Small Park to Safeco Field. So I think a lot mm -hmm. of people are giving Teoscar some bad slack and they're not really on him. I took him in a dynasty league in like the fifth or sixth round. People were just giving him to me. So <laughs> I don't understand the hate on Teoscar. I think that he's a great option, especially because outfield is so thin. And yeah. I am not worried at all about him being in the Mariners. I actually like the lineup context better because I think the Blue Jays were really energetic in 2021 and they had a really exciting team. And I think that Teoscar is a guy who feeds off of energy. And mm -hmm. I don't really see the Blue Jays having their huge energy in 2022 like they did in 2021 and the Mariners are on the upswing where they are nothing but hype they are nothing mm -hmm. but excited roaring to go they got Julio Rodriguez ready to go like they are ready to have a hype explosive season I think Teoscar is gonna be a big part of it yeah and the one thing I didn't talk about but it's it's gonna be interesting to see in the season is whether they send him because yeah, right bigger bases he he showed that 12 steel capability in 2021 He's batting cleanup, so it's like the odds that he's going to be able to get on base with a free base in front of him is probably a little less likely. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it may, maybe it's hard to say, like, see how how much they're sending him in spring because last year Byron Buxton was, like, getting sent all the time in spring training, and then he I think he stole one base in, right. in during the major league season. So it's like what we see in spring in regards to stealing – usually doesn't translate to the to the majors um but sometimes if if they have confidence that he can run um that that might be something to to look out for as well oh definitely definitely and he has the potential to steal 10 bases so i yeah. can expect a 25 to 30 homer 10 stolen base season from teoscar and to me a fourth round fifth round pick is perfectly warranted mm -hmm. moving on from america's team to I mean, a team that's getting a lot of buzz this offseason, rightfully so with all the people they signed. Sneaky Xander Bogarts signing from the Padres here. But for the San Diego Padres, the player that I'm mostly looking forward to watching in spring is Seth Lugo, who should be a starting pitcher. Now, this one intrigues me a lot. Lugo's a guy that I watched for his entire career on the Mets. And when I saw him fill in as a starter, he 
dominated. I was kind of shocked to see it when he did so in 2019-2020, but his stuff looked nasty. Now, he never got a consistent chance to be a starter, and I think now with the Padres, he might have the chance to do so. Lugo's curveball has always been nasty. Last year, it was 99th percentile for curve spin, which is ridiculous. Like, that's out of this world. Now, there's some other metrics that don't look too good, like first percentile and chase rate, but I think that Lugo can replicate what he did in 2019-2020 when filling in and being stretched out as a starter. In 2019, he pitched 80 innings, had a 7-4 record with a 2.7 ERA, and 104 strikeouts, which is a really good season. I mean, anyone would take that. Now, most of that came as a reliever, but he did get some starts in there. And then in 2020, where he got most of his starting chances, he looked great besides two really nuclear outings, which made his numbers look a lot worse than how he performed. I think he had over a 5 ERA for the end of the season, but he did not pitch that bad. It was just two explosive starts. But he still had 47 strikeouts and 36.2 innings pitched. Now, This is obviously more of a keep an eye out in spring training sort of deal because if he's not throwing a 94 mile per hour fastball and his sinker's getting hit hard and he's not guaranteed a rotation spot, he's pretty much a non-factor. I'm not really interested if he's not in the starting rotation unless you're in like a saves plus holes league, then he's probably going to be okay. However, if he locks up a rotation spot and looks good in spring, I think Lugo has a chance to be super fantasy relevant, especially in deeper leagues. He's not going to be a fantasy ace by any stretch of the imagination, but the sinker has to be better, and if he can limit the home runs and throw his slider and curveball for strikes, he could be great. I think he'll be a guy that we feature a lot on the streamer section of our podcast in season, at the very least that is. And my guess is that if he's a starter, the numbers will look something like 130 innings pitched, 145 strikeouts, a 3.70 ERA, a 1.20 whip, which in fantasy is a solid SP5 or 6 that you essentially get for free in your drafts or on the wire. So Seth Lugo is someone I'm keeping my eye out for. But like I said, if he's not a starter, and that's what I'm looking for in spring, is if he's being stretched out as a starter, if he's guaranteed that spot, because they have a few options, and I know they're looking into some other options this offseason, I think Seth Lugo can really bring some value in fantasy. Like I said, not a super ace, but I think he could be a great back end of the rotation guy that just puts up good numbers, kind of like what Kyle Gibson did for you last season. Yeah, the funny wrinkle is that the Padres today signed Michael Walker. Yes, right, and that's what really throws a curveball in it because now right. it's between Nick Martinez, Seth Lugo, Michael Walker. You really don't know who's yeah. going to be the starter there, and I yeah. think it boils down to health mainly, which two of yep. those three can stay healthy. It's it's kind of interesting, too, because um, Nick Martinez, uh, I think he mentioned today in an interview, I think, um, that he originally was going to pitch for the United States in the World Baseball Classic. Right. Um, but then they had him penciled in as a reliever, and he chose to stay in camp then with the Padres because he wanted to basically get stretched out as a starter. Right, yep. Um, and it's, yeah, so it's kind of this interesting, like, Oh, I you know who who is going to get that fourth and fifth spot because Nick Martinez actually spent quite a bit of time in the in the bullpen um, last year. So it it isn't like the Padres they, they've sent starters into the bullpen before. Um, none of these guys have options, obviously, so they're not going to get sent down to the minors. Um, so it, it's more of just going to be looking at yeah, like that spring training competition, and you, you don't necessarily have to draft him. You know, you could maybe pick him in the 23rd round or the 30th round, depending on, you know, what type of drafts you're in. Um, and if it doesn't work out, you could drop him. But if he does work out, like you said, that, that could be a guy who actually contributes to your fantasy team. 
Right. I mean, look at the Padres with like someone as Denelson Lamette, who went from starter to reliever. Nick Martinez, same thing, starter reliever. So I don't know who's going to be in that fifth spot for the Padres rotation. But if Lugo does nail down that spot, I think he's a pretty good bet to be someone that's free and that you can add to your starting pitching rotation that will have a season similar to Kyle Gibson, Martin Perez, somewhat around that, that I think he's just going to be good for you in fantasy. Mm hmm. Well, moving back to the AL West, uh, looking at the Los Angeles Angels, the player I'm focusing on for the Angels um, hit 29 homers, 98 RBI, and slashed 277, 340, 509 with a 126 WRC plus in 2021. However, he followed that up with a more ho-hum season in 2022, only had 15 homers, 44 RBI, and a 78 WRC plus with only about 130 less at-bats, actually. Um, granted, he was diagnosed with thoracic outlet syndrome and eventually underwent surgery for that. Of course, I'm talking about Jared Walsh, um, who plays first base for the Angels. Um, he was a pretty hot commodity on draft boards in 2022, um, especially because he broke out in 2020 during the shortened season. I believe he had like nine homers during that that year. Um, and then, you know, that 2021 was pretty impressive as well. However, he's barely relevant in drafts this year. Um, he has an average ADP of 278, so he's essentially free in 12-teamers. Um, and at the very back of your mind in 15 teamers so what are we looking for in spring obviously we want to see walsh healthy he had his surgery in september um and so it's been about five six months um so we'll see if he's back to full strength um but i also want to see how much of last year we can attribute to injury and how much of it was just kind of just expected regression um, thoracic outlet syndrome affects the upper limbs. Basically, it makes it incredibly painful to do activities in the shoulders, necks, arms, and hands. Activities like swinging a bat, right? So we'd, ex we'd expect his power to dramatically decrease. And I think that's what we saw if you look at rolling charts. Um, however, things like plate discipline, I don't feel like that would be too affected by an inability to swing hard. Uh, obviously not a doctor, so I don't know exactly how, you know, that would maybe affect maybe, maybe you want to swing harder because you think um, you need to impart more power into um, into your hits and that makes you strike out more or things like that. that that's potentially possible too. But specifically for Walsh, um, his strikeout rate increased during last season and the walk rate decreased. Um, so clearly some issues in plate discipline. His contact ability, which we talked about for Teoscar, right? That's just. Um, whether the likelihood or, or whether you're hitting a ball uh, more than it's expected more of the time than not. Um, so it peaked um, in 2021. He was basically above league average for most of the season. But in 2022, he started below average. So his season was below average. And I don't know if he was necessarily affected from TOS at that point, um, but he was already basically off to a bad start in the season. He peaked a little bit about two ways of the of the way through the season to get to above league average, so we were seeing improvement, and then it dramatically decreased uh, because of injuries. Um, so maybe he was on the up and up last year, and, and it just so happened that injuries ended up ruining his season. Um, so there's kind of two things that I'm looking for from Walsh during spring training. Is the power back, right? How does he look in terms of his, his power and his ability to get the ball over the fence? Can he potentially display power so that we could say that he could get to 20-plus homers this year? That's not bad for a guy who, at best, could be a utility bat on your fantasy teams. I, I'd take that, if possible. And then second, how is his play discipline? Again, we talk about this for all batters, so it's not anything new. But, yeah, is he 
striking out less, right? We don't need him to be elite at the plate. He doesn't need to turn to Juan Soto. But in 2021, we had that great season. He still had a 26% strikeout rate, right? We just want to see it come down from that 30% level that he was at in 2022. And if it just so happens that he gets to draw a few more walks, that would be great. Um, but ultimately, I just want to see, is he striking out less? And is he hitting the ball over the fence? Yeah. I was a big fan of Jared Walsh after that big season he had with 29 homers, 98 RBI. Like he crushed it in 2021. And I was mm-hmm. a big fan of him moving forward, thinking, man, this guy is going to be a really good first base option down the line. And then obviously the thoracic outlet in 2022 was kind of banged up and didn't look too good. I don't know how much I'm in on Jared Walsh, but this is the perfect player to watch in spring because if you start seeing signs of how he looked in 2021, he's someone you jump back in at a fraction of the cost. Mm-hmm. And That, to me, is exciting. I thought you were going to talk about Taylor Ward because he's another enigma on the (laughs) Angels, and he was like the best player in baseball for a little bit. But I think both those guys, Ward and Walsh, if they look good in spring training, I think Ward is a lot more helium, but Walsh coming back from injury, it just all you need to see is a sign of life, and Mm -hmm. you just jump back in on this kind of guy. Right. Like, the only thing against him is that he only has first base eligibility. Right. That's a guy you slot into utility slot. Um And also the other thing, too, with the Angels this year is that it's a really important year for them to do well because this is this is technically Shohei Otani's contract year. Yep. If they want to keep him, they need to show that they're building around him. And, like, that's not saying that's going to motivate Jared Walsh to play better, but it does mean that the Angels have a vested interest in knowing if he's going to work out or not. Because if he isn't going to work out, they're going to, you know, attempt to build around Shohei and maybe, you know trade for another first baseman or you know find someone else to take over that spot so we could easily see jared walsh go from fantasy relevant to very not relevant quick if it's just not working out for him absolutely and that's why you got to keep your eyes on spring training but speaking of shohei otani the future met i'm about to bring up (laughs) an ex-met but we will talk about that right after this break so stay tuned for that all right we are back and let me address the elephant in the room I know the last player that I spoke about was a former Met and Seth Lugo, and so is this one, but I promise it wasn't on purpose. We're talking about the San Francisco Giants from the NL West, and my player to look out for in spring training is J.D. Davis. Now, third base has been pretty desolate in fantasy for a few years now, last year and this year more so than ever. After the top five options of Joe Ram, Austin Riley, Devers, Machado, and Nolan Arenado, it's a coin flip. Everyone is just... Eh, maybe it'll work. It's nothing confirmed. So someone that I've been getting a lot of shares on in NFBC drafts and just in other drafts like my Dynasty draft I just did with Pitcher List is J.D. Davis. If you miss out on one of those top third base options, someone that you could get super, super late is J.D. Now, let me rattle off some statistics for you to make you understand why I think Davis is a steal at his price and why he's someone that I'll be watching for in spring training. Last season, Davis had a 56.1 hard hit percentage, which places him in the 99th percentile. For reference, if you don't know, Aaron Judge had a 61.8 hard hit percentage, and Jordan Alvarez had a 59.8 hard hit percentage. That's the kind of company J.D. Davis is in for how hard he impacts the ball. That is rare air. And I'm not saying Davis is going to have an Aaron Judge or Jordan Alvarez season, but when you hit the ball that hard, Good things are going to happen, especially with the shift changes, because he probably lost a lot of hits due to the shift. I don't have that information on me right now, but he pulls the ball a lot. So if they're shifting him that way, I think he's going to get a lot more hits. So the batting average will go up. But 
His hard hit percentage is unreal. Also, Davis was in the 95th percentile for average exit velocity and 97th percentile for barrel percentage. His Safant page is just bleeding red. Sure, there are some woes, of course there are, for a player going outside the top 200 picks because after what I just said, you would think he goes, what, 15th overall? <laughs> but with this layout, he's got some problems. He strikes out a lot. He isn't very fast, of course. He's not going to contribute any steals. And he's pretty injury prone. Now, the only thing that I'll be watching for in spring is if his plate discipline is improved and if he has an everyday role. He should be the everyday third baseman in San Francisco, but with Gabe Kapler, you just never know. He could play Wilmer Flores most of the time or Tyro Estrada. I don't know how it's going to look. But Davis is someone that has first base and third base eligibility, and I think he can hit over 25 home runs from a weak position that will cost you absolutely nothing as long as he has a full-time gig and stays healthy. Emphasis on the staying healthy. I think Davis is great, especially for his price, and I'll be watching a lot of him in spring. I wish he was still a Met because I love how he impacts the ball, but bygones be bygones. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because during the rabbit ball season, his strikeout weight was like 21%. Yeah. I don't think the rabbit ball influenced that too much. Um, maybe, maybe he was, I don't know, hitting balls out of the park that were supposed to be fall balls or something. I don't know. But yeah, it, ju it's, it jumped up in 2021 to like 32%. And then it stayed there a little bit in, in last season at 33%. Yep. Um, that all being said, it, it doesn't seem outlandish to see if he can improve that a little bit. Because he's done that before. Um, so... Yeah, I, J.D. Davis is definitely one of those interesting names, and it's kind of funny you mentioned NFBC because um, I'm, I'm in a TGFBI mock right now, and Nolan Arenado went in the second round. Wow. So, and he was the fifth third baseman taken, which yeah. means like, yep. and honestly, it, a lot of people are recommending this, and I it's hard for me to argue against it, but a lot of people are recommending that if you have the 101, you go Joe Ram right there, you know? So... so I also am an advocate of that, and I even stressed it to you last season when we were doing our draft for the podcast league that I wanted a top third baseman. I said, I don't yep. want to leave this draft without getting Joe Ram or mm -hmm. Riley or Machado or Devers, and we got one of those, I believe, right? Do we have Joe Ram? We got, I thought we got Machado. But okay, yeah, I can't got, remember. We, we had one of those guys, Joe Ram or Machado, yep. but that yep. was my goal, and this year's pretty much the same. I want an outfield and third baseman with my first two picks, ideally, yeah. if the draft works that way, of course. You can't just plan that way and then just take whatever. But mm -hmm. if it allows me to, I'd love to get a top outfielder and top third baseman. And just to see, like, I would never take Nolan Arenado in the second round. I don't care how desolate third base is. I would much <laughs> rather wait there and then grab, like, people with upside, like a J.D. Davis, like a Jordan Walker, like a Justin mm -hmm. Turner. Like, I don't know, there's so many options out there that are not great, but they'll do the trick for the time being. Right, And I don't want to waste my value on Nolan Arenado in the second just to guarantee me a third baseman. Like, if I don't get in the first two rounds one of the top four, which my top four is Joe Ram, followed by Devers, followed by Machado, followed by Riley. If I don't get one of those four, I'm going to wait on the position for a long, long time. And like I said, that's why in NFBC drafts, I'm ending up with a lot of J.D. Davis, and he's like my second or my corner infield, or mm -hmm. I, I usually have him as like a backup plan, and that's quite a backup plan a guy who has a 56 percent yeah. hard hit percentage so i'm a big fan of jd davis like you said his strikeout rate's been very bad but if he can cut that to even 28 27 yeah. i think he has a great season yeah 
And the other fun thing to note, too, is that if you're in an OBP league, like, Jaden Davis is actually really solid. Too. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, definitely, obviously, you know, work with your league settings. A lot of times when we talk about this stuff, it's usually because of a, you know, we're talking about standard 5x5 or, you know, head-to-head -head categories sort of leagues. But, yeah, I mean, I play OBP leagues. That's that's kind of the my preferred um, yep. style. And so, yeah, Jaden Davis is definitely on my radar a little bit as a guy that I could pick up a little bit later. So, um but it's, it's kind of it's good to keep your eye out for those guys. Absolutely. Well, moving back to the American League, uh, we're going to talk about the Texas Rangers. Um, they made quite a splash in free agency last year, and then they made another splash this year. Um, this year, though, they focused on their pitching rotation, including signing a guy with elite strikeout ability, decent command, um, and yet has struggled to pitch a full season for the past few years. I, of course, am talking about Andrew Heaney. Who else could I be possibly talking about the Rangers? <laughs> Uh, yeah, all kidding aside, uh, Heaney does have elite stuff. Last year, he ranked third in K percentage, third in CSW, and second in swinging strike rate, which is kind of insane. Um, with Pitcherless's uh, pitcher rating metrics, which were introduced at, in, at PitchCon PLV, Heaney is fifth in that ranking, the fifth best pitcher. Um, yeah, it's kind of insane. I, I didn't believe it the first time I saw it. I still really don't believe it, but, you know, that's what the numbers say. Um, now that he's let the Dodgers um, and their incredible support team, it's going to be interesting to see how he does in Texas this year. Um, so what am I looking for in spring? Well, for one, is that slider elite? He introduced a slider to his alternate last year because he pitched for the Dodgers, and the Dodgers just give all their pitchers sliders. <laughs> um, and it became a really, really good pitch in baseball. It had elite metrics in O-swing percentage, swinging strike percentage, and CSW. And then he's paired that with his really above average, almost elite fastball um, that to execute the Blake style blueprint to a T. He had high heaters, low breaking balls. Um, that's kind of his bread and butter. It was like 50-ish percent fastballs and then 30-ish percent sliders. And then, you know, he threw about a couple other uh, off-speed and breaking pitches uh, to kind of round it out. Um, but yeah, it was basically just just fastball slider. That was, that was his bread and butter. Um, the one caveat here, though, with his slider... So using kind of the new tools that Pitcherless has, uh, it's interesting the slider had a hit luck of negative four, meaning it should have given up four more hits than it actually did. I, I know that sounds like I'm nitpicking at like a specific little stat, but given that m most pitchers, um, Heaney specifically, uh, he gave up, uh, I'm pulling it up right now, he gave up, okay. So, yeah, I'm pulling up right now. Heaney gave up 17 hits on his slider last year. So if wow, you imagine okay. four more hits to that metric, right? Like, that's that's uh, adding 25% of the hits. Yeah, that's a big uh, percentage, yep. That's a big percentage. Uh, that's not like a little, little tiny amount. Um, granted, that's also because he only threw 72 innings last year. Right. Remember about being injury prone? That's Andrew Heaney. Um so yeah, and then also looking at PLV, which is kind of the way we rate pitchers, the slider was actually a below average pitch as well, which is kind of weird, but the results were really good. So, you know, that's something to, to, to take with a grain of salt, right? The pitch itself might've been bad, but the results were pretty good. Um, and so that's the fun thing about looking at new stats. You you really, you know, get to figure it out on the fly. Um, so, but again, that's why it's important to see how he's throwing the pitch this spring. Is it getting the same results? Or is it regressing a little bit more to the mean? Remember, last year was the first year that he used that pitch. So it'll be interesting to see how he does the second time around. 
The next thing I'm looking at is fastball velocity. Um, he's not a particularly hard throw. He's he's throwing around 93-ish miles an hour. Um, but the thing here is because Heaney is injury prone, the first thing to look at to tell if a guy's like kind of feeling it a little bit or, or you know not exactly his whole self is just to look at your fastball velocity, right? Um, it's usually a clear sign that there's something funky with pitcher health. Obviously, it takes a it, it takes a little bit of time for guys to ramp up. He could start spring at like 91 and then eventually get to 93 by the end of spring. That's definitely possible. Um, but it's it's something to to look at, especially now with all the stack has data that we have. If his if his fastball numbers aren't where they usually are, that might point to something where there's still something bothering him. He had some shoulder issues last year. Um, I think he missed over half the season actually with shoulder issues. Um, and it's not like the Rangers don't have another injury-prone pitcher on their roster. So while everyone's focusing on that guy, um, it might be good to also just check if Heaney's got uh, is he if Heaney's on that injured uh, news as well throughout spring. Yeah, Heaney was amazing whenever he was on the mound last season, and that's the issue about being on the mound. Like he has always been injured; he's never had a full season really. Like. If Andrew Heaney could stay healthy, I think he could be one of the best pitchers in fantasy, like a top 30 kind of guy because that's what he can return. And I'm surprised that the slider was that bad because when I saw him pitch, sometimes he'd have this sweeping slider that looked like it was going to be a fastball on the outside corner, and then it's a slider at your feet. And Mm -hmm. it was such an impressive pitch to righties and stuff. I'm surprised it got hit so hard, but then when he missed, it was like middle-middle almost with it, and that's when it got hit. Yeah, I think that's the thing where he was still kind of working on the command of it. Yep. Um, because yeah, like you said, it was it was amazing at times, right? It's it was in the 90th percentile or higher in O swing percentage, swinging strike percentage, CSW. So clearly, it's it's it was really really solid. Yeah. Um, it just so happened that sometimes it didn't work out for Heaney, right? Like you mentioned, it was just like a you know just a fat pitch down the middle. Right. So if he can improve that, right? If he if he's like, oh, I've got a year under my belt, let me improve the command. Like maybe in the offseason he's improving the command on that slider, um, and then we see that that he's locating it better in spring. I think that's a good sign, right? That that's a clear sign that like he's worked on it, that it's a better pitch than it was even compared to last year. Absolutely. If he just controls that even a little bit better and negates some of the hits on it, that pitch is going to be deadly and a put away pitch at that. So. Yep. I think Heaney has a very, very high ceiling, but just like the entire Rangers rotation, they've got to stay healthy. It's the big yeah. thing is they've got to yeah. stay healthy. Yeah, and and it's it'll be interesting to see because DeGrom is already, not on the injured list, but already experiencing a little bit of tightness. Yeah, um, we'll talk a little yeah. bit more about that later on for sure because that is just some scary news for yeah. the Rangers, of course. But yeah. moving back into the NL West, we have the Arizona Diamondbacks. Now, let me first express that I actually love almost every player in the Arizona Diamondbacks lineup this season. I think that they are a sneaky good team, and whatever the over is on their win-loss total, I'll be betting it because I think this team is really good. I like a lot of the players. With that being said, it's very hard to pick just one player that I'm excited about. However, there's one that I love more than the rest, and that's a name you all probably know by now, probably the most hyped name out of this whole list. That's Corbin Carroll, who is most likely going to be the rookie of the year, according to my calculations. I know, I know, I can hear everyone's boos that's listening right now that heard Corbin Carroll from everyone in the industry already, but that just goes to show you how exciting this guy is. 
And I'm not just picking him because it's a popular thing to do. I'm picking him for a multitude of reasons. This guy's amazing. We already know how thin the outfield position is this season, and his value is pretty high in drafts, but it's not overly ridiculous. It's not what you kind of had to pay for Bobby Witt last season, who was going in the fourth or fifth. Corbin Carroll's kind of going around the fifth to seventh range, depending on what kind of league you're in. And I just think it's someone you really want to jump on because we know how thin the outfield position is, like I said. And also this season, the bases are being enlarged, which already took place in the minors and Carroll is already adjusted to. And speaking of the minors, in 2022, across AA and AAA, Carroll had a slash line of 307, 425, 611, with 24 home runs and 31 stolen bases in 93 games. 93 games, 24 homers, 31 stolen bases, to a not-too-shabby 1.036 OPS. It's not bad at all, I would say. My number one reason for loving Carroll is that he is 100th percentile for sprint speed in Major League Baseball. He is the fastest player in the bigs, according to StatCast. It's hard not to love Corbin Carroll, and you can obviously see why. His potential is through the roof. He's only 22 years old, projected to lead off for the Diamondbacks, and I could truly see him having a huge breakout to the tune of 20 homers and over 30 stolen bases this season. Projections, which are often conservative, have him penciled in for between 12 and 17 homers and 13 to 20 steals, which is fantastic to project for just a rookie. But... I think he'll completely blow past those numbers. Obviously, that's me being ambitious, but I don't see him having less than 20 steals. That's just my opinion. The only concern I have, which is why I'm talking about him right now and is why I'm going to be watching him in spring training, is the power. That's what I'm going to be looking for. Is he putting the ball in the air? How do his exit velocities look? Is the power legitimate? If the power is real, Carroll will be a top fantasy asset for years to come due to his power and speed combo. He reminds me a lot of Trey Turner, where Trey Turner can hit 15 to 20 bombs and steal between 30 and 40 bases. Like when he was in his prime, Trey Turner's still in his prime, let's not get it twisted, but when Trey Turner was popping and was the number one overall fantasy pick, and he's still a top five fantasy pick right now, that's the kind of line you expect. 20 homers, 30 to 40 steals. And I think Corbin Carroll can mess around and have a season just like that. It just depends if the power is real. The speed is no question. He is the fastest guy in the big. So he is going to get those steals, especially with how the bases have changed. But is the power real? If it is, watch out because Carroll is going to be insane. Yeah, Carroll is... I was actually kind of surprised how high Carroll was going in some of these drafts. Yep. Uh, and... Um, it makes sense, right? That kind of elite power, elite speed combo doesn't come often. And if you can get it in a guy who has already proved the speed, at least, right, yep. in yep. in the minors. Um, and you know that he's – I mean, it, it's not that the Diamondbacks have come out and said, like, oh, we're, we're never sending him down. But he's basically locked into that spot for right. the entire season. Um, yeah, it's hard to not want to pick him up. Because that's a guy who is electric, um, maybe a more athletic version of Adelis Garcia, if I might say so myself. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, we'll see if the power, obviously, turns into Adelis Garcia. But yeah, I, I think it's it's very interesting how fast he's shot up draft boards this year. Yeah, he's definitely climbing. And if his value gets too crazy, then maybe you got to back off a little bit. Like if he's going in the third, fourth round, like let's yeah. pump the brakes a little bit. No. Mm -hmm. But I think his potential is someone that like next season, this time, we might be talking about him as a second round pick. 
but I mean, he could be like, I mean, J-Rod is a first round pick right now. You're right. You're right. He could and, be a first overall pick. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, let's not get too crazy, but yeah. I mean, like if he actually turns out like Trey Turner, right. That's a guy who, yeah, you'll, you'll take because he's, he's got the speed, he's got the power and he's hitting for average. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to say no to a guy like that. I completely agree. Well, we are saving the best for last with the <laughs> AL West with the Oakland Athletics. Um, I apologize in advance if you are an A's fan, but oh my goodness, this this is a baseball team. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if there's really anything else to say about it. Uh, yeah. Um, is anyone really hoping to see anything from the A's in spring training? I, I mean, I guess I just hope that they can field a baseball team. Um <laughs> I'm just going to provide a cop-out answer and just say, I want to see how their young guys adjust to Major League Baseball. Um, because they do have a lot of interesting names. Yep. Um, it, I, it's just tough because it's like none of these guys I'm ever going to pick up for a fantasy draft unless it's a deep league or I'm playing Dynasty. Um, yeah, there's None of these guys are like, oh, yeah, that, that's a guy that's interesting. Um, so a few names that, that pop out to me. Uh, Shay Langoliers, uh, last year he played a lot of DH uh, when, when the A's called him up, but he's basically penciled in as their everyday catcher this year, um, replacing Sean Murphy, who got traded to Atlanta. Um, he hit six homers in 40 games last year in the majors. He had a really terrible strikeout rate, though. Um, a little bit actually out of character for him, because um, in the minors, he was pretty decent. He had like a, a 21% um strikeout rate in uh about 400 games in in oakland and then he came up to the majors for 40 games and then struck out 34 percent of the time mm -hmm. so yeah that, i think that's just being a rookie in the majors for sure um and then his walk rate also decreased by a ton it was 10.7 percent in in the minors and then it dropped to 5.9 percent in the majors. so um he if he can show that he can hit major league pitching, if he's got better plate discipline in the majors, um, yeah, I, I think that's that's a guy that you could maybe pick up in like a two catcher league. Um, he's obviously not going to be relevant in in a one catcher league at all, um, but yeah, he, he might be worth a pickup in a two catcher league because he is going to get everyday playing time, um, and that's sometimes all you need to pick up a guy in those types of leagues. Another guy to talk about, um, Estuary Ruiz, who got traded. Um, to Oakland as well this year. Um, just a reminder, last year he stole 86 bases. Like, you thought Corbin Carroll was fast? Yeah. Um, Estrue Ruiz is just, like, blowing him out of the water. Um, he, yeah, 86 bases across AA, AAA, and the majors last season. Of course, the funny thing was that in the majors, he only stole one base. So it's like, eh, okay, I don't know. <laughs> um, the, the reason why he only stole on one base was because he couldn't get on base. Um, he was batting 171 in 70 games with a 194 OBP. Um, this guy basically just doesn't draw walks. Um, he either hits the ball into play or he strikes out. That's kind of mysterious right now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see because in the minors, he's had some pretty decent walk numbers. Um, but it's kind of skewed because it's, you know, it's the minors and it is what it is. Um, but the projections are actually what are interesting to me. Um, so the bat and steamer kind of have him between in that 20 ish, um, stolen base range, which isn't too bad. 
um they the more interesting thing though is that they have his on base percentage around 300 mm. so if this guy is getting on base like once a game there's a good likelihood that he's going to be able to steal a base because a we've got new bases right and he stole 85 bases in the minors last year and b we have new rules on pickoffs right you can only throw over to first i believe it's like three times now in in a in an at bat so maybe Ruiz is just going to be a guy who's, you know, able to kind of work with that. Um, and the, with the A's being the A's, I can't imagine a reason why they wouldn't let him run. Um, so, yeah, if he can get on base like once a game, and let's just say he's able to steal, you know, be generous a, a third or a fourth of the time, that's 20, 30 bases. That's, that's like John Birdie kind of level of effectiveness. Um, and so... Yeah, I, I think Estuary's could be interesting. And then if we're really going to look at pitchers, it's it's kind of abysmal. But they've got three guys there who combined have barely had a sip of coffee in the majors. Drew Rosinski, Shintaro Fujinami, who was signed over from Japan last uh, this offseason, and then Ken Waldachuk, who came over in the Frankie Montas trade. All three of these guys, who knows? Um, but the A's are kind of a fun team that you can occasionally stream them if the matchup is good. So maybe these three guys show something in spring that makes us believe that maybe there could be something there if the matchup is right. Um, and yeah, it could be an interesting thing to follow for spring if you follow the A's. Yeah, they should change the name. I know there's like the Washington football team. They should change the Oakland Athletics to the Oakland baseball team because they're not very athletic out there anymore. It's not looking very well, good for arguably the A's. they have one of the most athletic people, right, in, in Ruiz. But... True, true. He's definitely fast, but I, this team is abysmal. Shea Langoliers, you make a good point on. For a two-catcher league, I think he's a great choice, and the reason being is because last year, Sean Murphy led all of catchers in plate appearances by a long shot because they mm -hmm. just let him play every single day. And if yeah. they let Shea Langoliers catch and then in his off days play DH, yep. he might just rack up counting stats just for the sheer amount of playing that he's going to do. So Yeah, I mean... That's the, a good the choice. Back, the backup is Manny Pena. Yeah. Who, yes, he's played in the majors, but he's not going to be pushing Langoliers for any playing time. Tyler Soderstrom is in the minors, and he could maybe come up, but uh, a lot of people were saying that he's actually going to be more of a first baseman for the A's. Right. Um, or DH. I mean, Jesus Aguilar is there as the DH right now, and he's not exactly a guy that's like, oh, I love, I would want to play Jesus Aguilar every single time. Right, right, right. So, yeah, like, Langoliers, I think, is actually, it's probably, like, the one guy on this team who it's like, there's a legitimate reason why you would pick him up um, in in a, in a draft. Oh, definitely, definitely. And just a fun fact about the Athletics before we move on to the last team, Trevor May is the highest paid player on that team. That just goes to show yeah. you how bad the Oakland Athletics are. But moving on to the final team in the NL West, we're talking about the Colorado Rockies, and the Rockies are just terrible. Did you see the comments that the owner Dick Monfort said about oh the Rockies that goodness. we can play 500 ball this season? Imagine that being your motive. <laughs> I, I, the funniest thing about it was that he was talking about the Padres, right? And he's like, well, you know, they've got you, Darvish, and Joe Musgrove. Uh, but I think, I think other than that, like we're, we're pretty similar. It's just like wrong, <laughs> like dude, what, like apparent, I mean, it's Colorado, so I'll, I'll pass any judgment, but, uh, he, he's, uh, he's dreaming a lot right now. Yeah, uh, no, it, it's not a good look, but there yeah. is one player that I like, and I think it's pretty exciting on the Rockies and that's Ezekiel Tovar. 
Tovar is the number one or number two rated prospect in the Rocky system. It's between him and Zach Veen. A bunch of different lists have Veen as one and Tovar as two, and Tovar as one and Veen as two. So their top prospect right there is Ezekiel Tovar. And he should be their everyday starting shortstop for the Rockies to begin the year at least. So I'm surprised that I haven't heard too much buzz over Tovar, considering that he gets to play all of his home games at Coors Field. And he's a pretty big name in the prospect circle. The 21-year-old put up a 319, 387, 540 slash line across double and triple A last season, accompanied by 14 home runs and 17 stolen bases. He had a nine-game cup of coffee in the majors last season where he hit 212, 257, 333 with one homer. So it's nice to see that he got his toes wet, but I think that there needs to be more hype surrounding this kid, especially since there's really no one else to get excited about in Colorado. I'm not doing the Chris Bryant thing again. I don't want to see him on any list after last season, <laughs> but... There really isn't anybody to get excited over. Maybe Brendan Rodgers, but besides him, Ezekiel Tovar is that guy. He's someone to get excited about. He's currently projected to bat ninth in the order, but I think he can move up to leadoff considering the speed that he has. I can't see Jonathan Daza being an unmovable rock at the top of their order. So as for spring training with Tovar, I'll be looking to see if he's ready. Now that sounds like obvious, but I mean, does he look like their everyday shortstop? Is he confident? Is he moving smoothly out on defense? How does his bat look? Is he making good contact? Is he running on the bases? Just a bunch of the things that make a major leaguer a major leaguer. That's what I'm looking for in Tovar. If he looks like he's ready, I have confidence that he'll be a pretty strong fantasy asset. Remember, he's only 21 years old, so there can be some growing pains, but I really like Tovar and think that he will help teams in fantasy this season, especially deeper leagues in that middle infield shortstop slot. Yeah, I for one am waiting for the Ryan McMahon ba- uh, breakout, but I, I think I've been waiting for that for like the last five years. That's so. like five or six years in the making, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting on that as well, and it's it seems like a, a dead trip here. Yeah, no, but I yeah, I think Tovar has got some interesting promise, and like you mentioned, right, He's he has a power-speed combo that is nice because he plays half his games in cores. Right. Um, obviously, the other half that he doesn't play in cores, eh. But, uh, you know, that's a guy that um, Tovar is not going to be your starting shortstop, right? He's going to be, you know, your middle infield guy or maybe a utility guy. So you're going to be swapping him in and out, um, especially in a daily league. I think he's a, he's a great pickup there um, if it's, you know, a little bit of a deeper, like a 15-teamer. Um, in weekly leagues, uh, he could be a, a, a guy where it's like, oh, he's got six games in cores this week. Um, yeah, we're going to start him at middle infield. I, I, I think he's got some interesting, um, interesting narratives around him this year. So that'll, that'll be fun to watch. Yeah, you get him super late in your draft, and it's someone that plays half their games at cores. Like we said, like I am definitely going to be targeting him in something like TGFBI, where mm-hmm. no matter who my starting shortstop is, that's not the question for Tovar. He's not going to be my starting shortstop. He's going to yep. be in that middle infield slot or in the utility slot based on if his home games are at cores. If it's a weekly league, I can just slot him in for that big home stretch, let him yep. rip, and then bench him. So I think Tovar is a great look. I actually drafted him in the second round of my Dynasty Startup League through people oh. in pitcher lists. So I'm excited to see what he could do. I think he's got a lot of potential, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. Yeah, if you really want to believe projections too, which you know sometimes you take them with a grain of salt, everyone has them projected for at least a 10-10 season. So, yeah, as a in 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 roto or even in a weekly league where you can choose when you want to play him, I, he's going to be a valuable contributor. I think. Oh, no questions asked. You got to be excited about at least one Rockies player per season. So. That's our coverage there. So that wraps up 
all of our favorite people to look forward to in spring training for the West Division, the AL and NL West. Hopefully, you guys got some info out of that and some names that you might be watching as well. And if there's anybody that you're looking forward to, please send us an email or a tweet and let us know who you are excited about. But before we wrap this up, we're going to quickly run through all of the MLB transactions since our last podcast. But before that, we will have to take a short break and we will return after this. And we're back. And to close things out, here are the latest MLB transactions since our last podcast. We're going to go through all of these. And John, you could comment about which ones stand out to you or which ones that you like or think are under the radar. So... We start off with a little Twins-Marlins trade. Luis Arias was traded from the Twins to the Marlins for Pablo Lopez. There was more people in that deal, but the two headliners were Pablo Lopez and Luis Arias. Jazz Chisholm of the Marlins will be moving from second base to center field, which isn't obviously moving teams, but that gives a little bit of value if he carries second base and outfield eligibility going into this season. Toronto is bringing in the fences and also raising them. Some interesting park dimension changes on that that John will probably go over in just a little bit. So Roger Center is going to look a little bit different than you're used to. Michael A. Taylor was traded to the Twins. Adalberto Mondesi was traded to the Red Sox. Cole Irvin was traded to the Baltimore Orioles. Zach Granke signed with the Kansas City Royals. Matt Barnes was traded to the Marlins. Chad Green signed with the Toronto Blue Jays. Aaron Ashby is to be limited in spring training due to some arm injuries, so keep an eye out on Aaron Ashby. We're not sure what we're going to get out of him this season. A couple of extensions happened. Hugh Darvish signed an extension for six years, $108 million with the Padres. Christian Javier signed an extension for five years, $64 million with the Astros. Bo Bichette signed an extension with the Blue Jays for three years, $33.6 million. And Jeff McNeil signed an extension with the Mets for four years, $50 million. David Peralta signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Alex Reyes also signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Andrew Chafin signed with the Arizona Diamondbacks. There was a trade between the Athletics and the Marlins. A.J. Puck went to the Marlins and J.J. Blade went to the Athletics. Randall Grichuk had surgery due to a sports hernia and is likely to miss early season. Nestor Cortez won't participate in the WBC due to a hamstring injury. Kyle Freeland will replace him on the WBC roster. And Nestor Cortez says he should be ready for opening day, but we shall see. Michael Waka signed with the San Diego Padres. Michael Fulmer signed with the Chicago Cubs. Jacob deGrom is already experiencing tightness. And Frankie Montas is having shoulder surgery and is potentially out for the season. So a lot of news there. John, anyone that catches your eye, I will say personally... That Andrew Chafin signing with the Diamondbacks is interesting just because that might mean Mantiply is a closer now, but I am not too sure on that. But what really catches your eye here? I mean, the main thing I think is actually Jazz moving to center because any any position eligibility is nice. But like you mentioned, like outfield is like super top heavy this year. Um, second base also sucks too. So um, having a guy who could potentially be in both is a really good asset. And so it'll be obviously interesting to see how Jazz does health-wise. Um, outfield is a much more different position to play than second base. It's just, you know, maybe there's less lateral running around, but there's still a lot more, you know, running around, running in the walls. Right. Jazz has also never played uh, outfield in the majors or the minors. So he is learning a new position on the fly. Like, really, when we talk about our NL East uh uh 
guys to watch out for just implicitly think of jazz playing in the outfield because we'll want to see how that works yep so i think that's interesting um the rogers center stuff is is also interesting because uh one of the big things is that they're moving right field or right center field to kind of the power alley from 375 feet into 359 feet so 16 feet in they're raising the wall four feet um so what that kind of means to me i guess is line drives maybe they don't always end up in homers but fly balls better chance of becoming homers um and then the other thing too that's interesting is the blue jays also added a couple lefty bats here Dalton varsho brandon belt kevin kiermeyer all these guys are going to benefit a little bit more from that that shorter right field um and maybe that's like a, a tiny motivation for why I did this I, I i don't really know um but yeah it's just something to look for um obviously we won't know what we won't know what that plays like until the season actually starts but just something to keep in mind like maybe that that elevates brandon belt in your mind just a little bit knowing that maybe he can get a you know one or two more homers through the season um other things that are interesting um aaron ashby being limited in spring training kind of sucks, but he was already kind of on the outside looking in on that rotation. So I think this maybe solidifies that he's going to start the season in the bullpen. Um, Cole Irvin being traded to the Orioles, I think is also interesting because he had that really amazing stretch with the A's last season. Um, and then now he's with the Orioles. He's going to be facing tougher opposition. Um, so that's that's something to keep an eye out for. Maybe Maybe that drops in his rankings just a little bit. Um, we already mentioned with the Dodgers that they have so much position depth and then they added David Peralta, who's a pretty solid outfielder. Like he's a good fourth outfielder at least. Um, so I think that's, that's going to be something to watch out for that just a lot more rotation and maybe just more playing time split between a ton of guys there. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's just kind of interesting to see all the pitcher, uh, pitchers who aren't going to be pitching in the world baseball classic, like, uh, Nestor Cortez is probably one of the bigger names that isn't participating, but there's a lot of guys who are just not going to be playing in the, in the World Baseball Classic. Part of it is like due to the team not wanting them to play, but some of it is due to you know small nagging injuries here and there. So um, interesting to look at. And then Frankie Montas, I think, is the biggest one where initially he was going to be out for the first month of the season, and now he might be out for the entire season, which kind of sucks. Yeah, any time loss for Frankie Montas is going to hurt because – he was going to be someone that was a late target in drafts because of that early injury that you might be able to get really late and could pay off dividends. So yep. Matas was a guy that had a big potential on his back, and now it's just, man, he might be out for the season, which is rough. And then piggybacking off of that, Jacob deGrom is already experiencing tightness, which is just a huge blow, especially for the Rangers who just signed him. And it's such a bad thing for baseball when DeGrom's down on the mound and is not healthy. And I was seeing that someone tweeted out, and they were like, man, when... DeGrom is on the Mets. We get a constant update in spring training that, oh, you know, DeGrom is feeling some pain or he's going to be okay or he's whatever. And it hasn't happened. And now we're seeing that for the Rangers. And man, I feel bad for that. So hopefully DeGrom can feel better because, man, that's another big ace for fantasy that we're going to be missing out on. Yeah. It, another ace that I forgot to list here, but it's because he hasn't been fantasy relevant for a while. Um, Steven Strasburg. Yeah. Again, dealing with complications for um, actually thoracic outlet syndrome surgery. So um, he's like out basically, or his, his recovery has been delayed basically for another month or so. So um, it's up to see like these, yeah, these guys who 
elite pitchers, but um, just can't can't shake the injury bug sometimes. Yeah, it's it's brutal. But those are all of the transactions and things that happened since our last podcast. Hopefully that catches you up to speed. And that wraps up things for this podcast of the West edition of who we're looking forward to in spring training and all of the MLB transactions. So that will wrap up this episode of the show. Before we go, please make sure that you follow us on Twitter at ThisWeekPL and send us any of your comments and questions to our email, ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. You can find John on Twitter at TheJohnKe, that's T-H-E-J-O-H-N-K-E. And you can find myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. Feel free to send us tweets, ask us questions, engage with us on that. Please subscribe to the PitcherList podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you can find us. And please leave a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. And lastly, sign up for PitcherList Plus. By doing so, you could join us in the PitcherList Discord and get advice from all the fantasy experts and writers over there. But that's all for this week. We'll be back soon with another episode of the off-season edition covering the central division of who we will want to see in spring training. But for John, I am Lee. We'll see you all in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.